Rabbi Manus Friedman is in our studio. He is one of the uh, world's most prolific lecturers and authors. It's, it seems like, based on the trying to schedule him here, that it's a rare trip for him to the New York area. We'll find that in a moment. Rabbi Manus Friedman hails now from uh, the state of Minnesota, and he is, um, again, as I say, one of the world's most prolific lecturers. Rabbi Manus Friedman, an honor to welcome you here to JM in the AM. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Is it, in fact, a rare visit to New York? No, not really. No? There's yeah, a almost, shuttle? Almost once a month. All right. Well, some might say that's rare. How'd you end up in Minnesota? This was a result of? <laughs> I ask myself that every day. <laughs> no, uh, we got married, and we wanted to go someplace and be a shliach and do some work, and Minnesota came up. Nobody told me it gets so cold out there. I, I can only imagine. I would not be able to survive there, so I admire you just for that. 43 winters. Doesn't make sense. <laughs> just that, and I assume it's minus 43 often in those winters. Am I right? Uh, it had gotten better, actually. A little really? global warming. Interesting. And now last year it well, went back to the old. This past winter, I'm, yeah. you couldn't be in Miami. That's how cold it was in this country. Uh, so, um, And when you first walked into Minnesota, was there any Jewish presence of significance? Because I would assume today with Chabad and with other types of yeshivas and institutions, that it's much larger than it was back then. Uh, I can tell you when we walked into Minnesota, there was one sukkah in both cities. And it was under the bal- under the uh, balcony of the synagogue. <laughs> That's where the sukkah was. <laughs> Nobody thought thought things through, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and today, how many sukkahs would there be? Oh, today we uh, we sell sukkahs. Wow, it's an actual business. That's how active people well, are. I wouldn't call it a business. <laughs> so uh, I, I saw that you had. How does this work? Are you presenting courses online on a variety of topics? I mean, are these. Is this what is this essentially how you're now reaching the public through these it's online one, courses? Yeah, one of the ways, and it's very good. And um, and what happens? People subscribe. They uh, they log on and get free lectures. How does this whole system work? Uh, there's there's there are many free lectures. Most are free, I think. Right. But then there's a there's a website where you can go and log on and get everything. And what are the most popular topics? What are the things that intrigue people the most? You know, the United States, it seems to me, you know, being being somewhat of a veteran at this point, um, uh, getting up there in age, it seems like the, the United States has uh, a, a cyclical type of atmosphere when it comes to social causes and things like that and spirituality. And it seems like we have different eras, you know, an era of God where it's really, you know, a hot topic in this country and then other periods of time where people are basically ignoring it. Uh, and, and there are other things when it comes to relationships, etc. Uh, you know, it has its ups and downs. Are, are we now in a God era in this country? Or are we in one where people would love to avoid discussing the topic of God? In the Jewish community, it's an uncomfortable topic. But it needs to be the topic of the day. It has to be. Why is it uncomfortable? I think people have a hard time with emunah. It's uh, irrational. How do you handle irrational things? What are the rules? Um, if we don't really understand, we feel a little awkward talking about it. So it's been a neglected topic, and it's it's terrible because if if Yiddishkeit is is going to uh, inspire the world, it can't do it without God. 
So what is it? A we godless religion. So we don't like the unknown. We don't like not having definitive uh, answers as to who is where and, and what is happening behind the scenes and things like that? I think it goes back a couple of hundred years. When the Enlightenment infiltrated into Europe, one of the things that they mocked was blind faith. Right. If you can't be rational, then, then, then don't talk about it. And the Jewish leadership uh, was intimidated by that, and they backed off. You know, don't give them opportunity to mock you, so soft-pedal that subject, and let's stick to the rational. But we're paying a terrible price for that now. And it's interesting because I would think that the more that a country collectively is in the lap of luxury and, uh, you know, and is involved in higher education, etc., the less likely they would be to be comfortable with the whole God topic. One of the reasons why, again, in this country. But nonetheless, it does seem to me that with all the luxury and comforts we have here, and with all the high intellect and academic standards that we have in this country, it does seem to me on the positive side that there is a core belief or a core faith among most Americans when it comes to God. Am I wrong? Oh, no, there is. There is a core belief. But it's not a topic of conversation. It's not a comfortable. But if people believe and believe that, you know, a higher being is controlling things, supervising things, or use whatever word you wish, why, why do we need people to make it a topic, discuss it more, and, and make it more part of their lives? Because belief in God is not enough. You have to have a relationship with God, particularly Jews. We are here to serve. Avedas Hashem. To just believe so that in a moment of crisis you know who to blame. <laughs> right. That's not good enough. You have to have a relationship. And a relationship is a daily thing. It's an ongoing thing. It's personal and so on. How does one establish a relationship with God? Ah, yeah, now, now. $64,000 question. So let's, let's start with a, with a very simple statement. Pirke Ovos says, don't serve God for the sake of a reward. Right. Serve without sake of a reward. Mm -hmm. So the obvious question is, if it's not for the sake of the reward, then why serve? What's the benefit to a human being to serve God if they're not being rewarded for it? What's the motivation? Right. The only way that makes any sense, I mean, if you say, look, God doesn't need your mitzvah, and you don't really need it, because if you're doing it because you need it, then it's a reward. Right. So you shouldn't need it, and he doesn't need it, let's do it anyway. <laughs> what are we doing? That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. The only way that it makes any sense is if God needs the mitzvah, and that should be enough of a reward for you. Okay. And that's why the Mishnah puts it in the, in the example of a servant and a master. Right. Why does the servant do what he does? Because the master needs it. Mm -hmm. If the master doesn't need it, and he's not getting paid, what are we doing? But we've been taught all our lives that God, in fact, does not need exactly. our prayer, our deeds, exactly. etc. But that doesn't make sense, and it's not. So are you then contending that God might need our prayer, our deeds, our our a actions? Absolutely and infinitely. You are you are you are here today to tell everybody. Yes. Completely against many of the things we were taught growing up in yeshiva, etc., so, etc. Et so let's get let's get something ironed out over here. The Torah is full of descriptions of Hashem's arm, Hashem's head, right. Hashem's speech, Hashem's mm -hmm. anger, mm -hmm. His pleasure. His, right. 
Many human-like traits. Human-like traits. Right. And we are told very often and very intensely and, and strongly not to take it literally. Correct. Chas v'shalom, God right. forbid. Right. right. So all of those descriptions are there for what purpose? To mislead us? No, it's there to help us understand. But if he doesn't have an arm, and the Torah says his arm, how do, what? <laughs> then what's going on? How, you're helping me understand what? You're just, you're just confusing me. Right. So, to get right to the point, right. my granddaughter is crying because mm-hmm. her doll broke. Right. The arm came off. Mm-hmm. Right? So I said to her, oh, that must have hurt so bad. So she starts to laugh. She says, it didn't hurt. I said, how could it not hurt? The arm came off. She says, it's not a real arm. I said, how do you know? She says, it's plastic. I said, oh, right. What was I thinking? A real arm can't be made out of plastic. A real arm has to be made out of a bone. (laughs) Really? And that's a real arm? Does a bone with some flesh on it, with some muscle on it, does that split a sea? God raised his arm and the sea split. Now that's an arm. We are created in his image, so we also have something like an arm, but it's made out of bone. It can't be a real arm. Right. So when the Torah calls your arm the same name as God's arm, that's a metaphor. Right. But we are the metaphor, not God. Right. So does God really have an arm? Yes. Looks nothing like ours. Literally an arm? Yes. A real one, yes. You mean like mine? No. <laughs> no. A real one. So we are the copy, and we shouldn't be creating God in our image. So when we're told not to take it literally, it really means don't take it physically, because a physical arm is not the real thing. Right. But take it literally, God has an arm, right. the real one. So now if, in fact, God does have an arm, how does that help us in our faith, belief, our approach and relationship with God? Well, it's like God has a right arm and a left arm. Right. The right arm is chesed and the le- left arm is gevura. Right. And we are created in his image, so right. we also have a right arm and a left arm. Right. But we still haven't answered the question, why do, n- do good deeds or serve God? Yeah, but now we understand why using the term helps us understand. Right. Because our arm is at, at least a tiny bit right. like right. the real thing. It's a cheap facsimile of yes. the real arm. A Xerox copy there of those who remember Xerox. Right. <laughs> and the same is true with everything else. God really speaks? You mean like me? No. He really speaks, right. I babble. Right. <laughs> he says, and there was. Right. I say, and nobody listens. Right. <laughs> so it's not, no, not the same thing. Okay, so, good. So, that so is- does God have needs? Oh, no, no, no. That's too human. No. What we've done, actually, is a terrible disservice. We try so hard not to attribute human qualities to God right. that we've turned out having a less than human God. That's not acceptable. He's less than human. We, If anything, he should be greater than you. Of course. So we have sensitivity. It bothers us, it hurts us when we see a child suffer, or any person suffering. Mm-hmm. And we're just a little piece of God. Right. And the little piece of God has enough sensitivity to, to actually hurt 
from somebody else's pain. God doesn't. What, is he less than human? No, it must be devastating for him in human terms. Yes, infinitely painful. Right. Okay. So when we say God has a need, everybody freaks out because that's too human. But it depends on what kind of need we're talking about. There are needs that we have that we're embarrassed by, and we'd rather not have them. Right. Yeah, those needs he doesn't have. But the ones that make us human, like the need to eat and sleep, that's embarrassing. Right. Because no matter how important... What a shame that we need that in order to survive. Yes. Right. Particularly since human beings are usually involved in very meaningful and important activities, like heart surgery, right. and the surgeon has to stop. Right. Because he's gotta exhausted. Go eat now. Right. Or he's tired. He really, so to say he needs right. to eat is really a misnomer. He doesn't need to eat. He needs to be able to go on without eating, but can't. That's a handicap, not a need. A real human need is the need to have a purpose in your existence. Rabbi Manus Friedman is here, JM in the AM. So now if we've established that, in fact, God is, quote-unquote, a greater human being than us, and in the context of what you said, I hope people understand what I mean. Uh, and in addition to that, uh, we're contending that he has feelings and feels the pain of the... I mean, we see what's going on in Israel right now. It's very impressive how the collective Jewish world is suffering to, you know, obviously not to the degree that their families are, but you get my point. One can only imagine, you know, how God is looking down with with, with mercy and sympathy for these boys. Uh, if all that is true, which we know it is, and you've established that God has need, so now, do our prayers and good deeds and service of God fulfill those needs? Of course. They do. Infinitely. Do we have to keep that in mind as and we serve God that yes, we are? Yes. And that will help us achieve what if we keep that in mind? And and that's what's called doing a mitzvah lishma. Correct. You're doing it because that's why we're needs. That's why we're told don't do it before the reward that you might get for exactly. it. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And if we do keep that in mind, how does it help us? We understand now how it helps God. How does it help our service and relationship okay, to God? Okay, so in the olden days, in the good old days... People were much higher in their spiritual talents and their godly... So we are told. Yes. So we are told. So they had legitimate reasons to act godly, to do mitzvahs, because they were godly people. They they knew what holiness meant. They knew what it means to be spiritual and so on. Mm -hmm. So we considered it a very high level to serve God Lishma, to do it for its own sake, to serve him. Right. Today we don't have those talents. The only talent we have is to be loyal to him. So now everyone must do a mitzvah because because God said so, because it helps him. Right. For ourselves, we have so little motivation. Right. Little motivation, but how does it help our relationship with God when we do it? When you serve him yeah. and you're doing something he really needs. Right. And you understand it that way. Yeah. Then you become real in his world. Otherwise, we're so insignificant. What are we here for? But when we realize we're here to serve him, and every mitzvah we do has eternal, infinite value, Mm -hmm. which is, by the way, why doing a mitzvah one time is better than all of Elam Haba, all of Gan Eden, because we're doing something for him that is infinitely meaningful. Which we assume we cannot do once we're not here anymore. Obviously. Without a body. Right. Yeah. It, would be, it would be impossible. Yeah. Um, does all this 
help people's faith? Again, I, I keep going back to the same question. Let's assume that people are willing to accept the relationship with God that you just described. Does it help one's relationship with God? Does one feel stronger in relation to God, more thankful to him, more subservient to him if they have this attitude? Or just simply more related more does loving it, with him. Does right? it help a relationship if you engage in the relationship? <laughs> well, yes, obviously. So God becomes real in your everyday life. And David HaMelech says, Hoysali demosi lechem yemon v'layla. Right. People all day long, they said to him when he was suffering and running and hiding, they said, ah, where's your God? And that made him cry. But a deeper understanding is... They said to him, Kol hayim, all day long, where is your God? In the morning, you put on tefillin, I see you have a God. Right. At night, you finish with, with the Shema. But during the day, where is your God? Is your relationship part-time? Is it an on-and-off relationship? <laughs> is it a one-way street? All right. So a very quick analogy. Sure. A mother asks a son to make her tea three times a day, every day. He brings her tea three times a day, every day for 50 years. At the end of 50 years, he finds out that his mother never drinks tea. She doesn't like tea. She doesn't need the tea. And she never drank the tea. So he says to her, what was that? 50 years, I'm bringing you tea. She said, what? You think I need tea? I just wanted to give you an opportunity to get closer to me. For a, for a moment, that sounds really nice. A real Yiddish mama. Wah, what a mother. Doesn't even need the tea, but gives him an opportunity to get closer to her. But if you think about it for a moment longer, she's a terrible mother. Because bringing her tea for 50 years didn't get him any closer to her. He was obedient, but obedience is not close. It's not a relationship. Obedience applies where you can't have a relationship. You obey a king because you can't have a relationship with him. You obey a principal because he's not your friend. <laughs> it's always from a distance. We say that a mitzvah brings you closer to God. Right. But if we take seriously the way we've been brought up, with Yeres Hashem, fearing God, not doing something bad because of what might happen, etc., that hampers this whole area that you're describing. Because of the emphasis on fear? Yeah, the fear and and only not doing something because of what might happen. That's that's more of the relationship with the uh, with the person who doesn't need the tea than with somebody who's loving and wants to get closer. Well, in every love, there's an element of fear. You can't love without fear. In any relationship. Every day. They're, they're, two si- they're two sides of the same coin. Right. So if you're not afraid of hurting somebody, then you don't really love them. Mm-hmm. If you're not afraid of losing a relationship, then you don't have a relationship. Right. Now imagine that this son who brings tea finds out that his mother really loves coffee. Right. She drinks coffee three times a day. But that he doesn't bring it to her. She asked her his brother right. to bring her the coffee. Ah, now you feel the sting. She kept you out of her life by keeping you busy with something she doesn't need. If God doesn't need the mitzvahs, and yet he demands that we do mitzvahs all day long, (laughs) you have to make a hundred brachas a day. Does he really care? No. What is that? That's horrible. Certainly he cares. Of course he cares. It enhances his existence.
it fulfills his purpose and gives him the relationship for which he created the world in the first place. What percentage of the God course did we cover this morning? A fraction. Uh, the 5%? Which is 5%. But one more, one more. Please. Okay. It is a terrible Chil Hashem. And Chil Hashem is the worst thing we can do, right? Right. Like Kiddush Hashem is the mm-hmm. greatest. Chil Hashem is the worst thing. One desecrates God's name is the worst. Which literally means giving him a bad reputation. Right. Yeah. If we were to say, just thinking logically and, and, and with justice, if we were to say to the world, I'm going to fast on Yom Kippur because I have sinned, and if I don't get forgiveness at the beginning of the year, I'm going to be punished for my sins. Right. Can you imagine what an outsider might think? An outsider observing Jewish history. Go ahead, yeah. God gathered you at Mount Sinai. One time. Right. One time. He said, keep my mitzvahs. And then he never spoke to us again for 3,300 years. He sent us Nevi'im and messages and postcards Mm -hmm. and writing on the wall. But he never spoke to us again. 3,000 years. 2,000 years of those 3,000 were horrendous, impossible, inhuman. Suffering and, and displacement and exiles and on and on and on and on. Disrupting the tradition, disrupting the yeshivas, disrupting the, the family unit and so on. Now, 2,000 years of the suffering, 3,300 years from Sinai, a Jew might sin. And God is going to be angry at him after what he put us through? Anybody listening to this would say, what What kind of a God do you have? Right. He's going to punish you right. because after 2,000 years of suffering, you forgot to do a mitzvah? Mm-hmm. That's a chil Hashem. Well, what's the answer? The answer is no Jew today deserves to be punished. And anyone who does a mitzvah today is a hero. And God is is moved to tears by our devotion. Today, after all of that, every Jew in the world, if you just touch his neshama, wants to be a better Jew. Why? What is this? Why, after the Holocaust... What is it that attracts them? After the Holocaust, a father said to his children, you know, we're Jewish. They don't keep anything. They don't observe anything. They're not... But he tells his children, we are Jewish. Why? Let it go. Right? No. You say to a Jew who is not very active, and, and you say, oh, so, so you're not really Jewish. Whoa. You take your life in your hands. They're going to resent that. I'm not Jewish. They get very upset. Why? What is this bond? Now, here's, here's the, the punchline. If God really doesn't care, he's so perfect and he's so infinite and he's so almighty that it really can't affect him, nothing we do affects him, then why is Chil Hashem a problem? Right. His reputation? He cares? Why would he care? How could he? How could he even care? Okay. So, the fact that Chil Hashem is a terrible sin and Kiddush Hashem is a bigger even than a mitzvah, that tells us that God has a vested interest he created the world for a purpose, and that purpose is absolutely essential. So we have to start relating to God for real, 
not on occasion. He is everything. The reason we wake up and the reason we go to sleep and the reason we do mitzvahs and the reason we try to be Jewish is for him. Rabbi Manus Friedman, making us think this morning, to say the least. Best place for people to see online your entire catalog of uh, lectures and to see the God course, which is available right now as well. What should people do? What address do they go to? Go to itsgoodtoknow.org. That's it? Itsgoodtoknow.org. It's. I-T-S. Yes. Itsgoodtoknow.org. Yeah. And you'll educate people on the topic of God and many other topics as well. Yeah, because it is good to know. It is good. <laughs> Can't argue with you on that. I appreciate you being here this morning. It's a pleasure. Please send our best to everybody in Minnesota. Will do. And I hear you're a big Benny Friedman fan, so there's a Jewish music element to this as well. So He's all right, huh? He's good. He's, he's good. good. Yeah, he does what he's doing. Rabbi Modest Friedman on a Wednesday morning at JM in the AM.